Uh, hope you've had a great week as well. Whether you're watching online or you're here, I know there's other exciting things happening today. And uh, we've already had a baptism today and looking forward to some more great movements. Um, to this week's been a little awkward for me to start. Um, I ended VBS without a cell phone. I don't know, have you ever had a cell phone uh, just kind of quit on you at moment's notice? It, it was still accepting calls, or at least it would ring. I could tell the texts were coming in. Uh, but I could, the phone, the screen was dead, so I couldn't answer any, any calls. So that was kind of, if, if you called me last week, I apologize if it didn't answer. Um, but I started the week out with a new cell phone. How many of you have you ever had to acclimate to a new cell phone in like just one day? It's kind of a pain. Anybody ever relate to that? You're just like, well, I, I, I want my own phone back. Uh, but I was trying to get used to this phone. And I, I appreciate one of the things that uh, CIY that Ben had the kids do was kind of disconnect from technology. Uh, ben, uh, this is a kind of come to Jesus moment. Were the kids allowed, the students allowed to have their phones at all or just during certain times? Okay, because I know my boys encountered me. They said, Dad, why are, you, why are you posting on social media these weird posts? And I thought, you're not supposed to have your cell phone right now. But, but they were asking me, and I was like, what do you mean? I haven't posted anything this week. I'm just getting used to my new phone. Somehow, my phone inside my pocket decided to take uh, screenshots of my contact list with strange little emojis of me saying happy birthday to different names. I, I can't even do that if I wanted to. Sometimes technology can be a distraction. It made me think of a, 10 years ago, it's hard to hear sometimes with new technology. 10 years ago, a, a great new piece of technology came out. I don't know how many of you were excited about this. The iPhone 4 came out. Anybody remember the release of the iPhone 4? It was 10 years ago. There was something new with that. Does anybody remember what the iPhone 4 had that no other phone had had to that point? Anybody remember? Siri. That was when Siri came out. I've never had an iPhone. I'm not anti-Apple or anything. Apple's great. I just have always been Android, so I don't really know much about that. Um, I talk in my phone a lot now with Google, and my boys are like, stop doing that, Dad. We're in public, okay? But you can talk to Siri. If you know what it is, you can hit a button or just say, hi, Siri, and he starts answering questions. Well, this person had an iPhone 4 at church, and they engaged Siri, and Siri was listening to me, but no one knew it including myself. So I'm in the middle of the sermon. I'm really preaching. I, I went through this minute of passion and I'm declaring truth. And I get to the point where I have this pregnant pause. I just want everybody to think. And you hear this voice of technology say, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble understanding you. <laughs> Siri was starting to talk to me about the sermon. Today, I pray that we're clear what we're, we're focused on, that we're on mission. And you hear it from God's word. I love technology, but there is something even greater than technology in our lives that we can hear from, and that's the words of Jesus today. Christ has called us to what's most important. And I pray you hear on mission, I want you to know, uh, know it, uh, live it, and to share it. That's the next three weeks. Today we're going to focus on this, this mental side of our mission, to know it, and, and what that means and what that looks like. And next week we're going to try to live it. We're going to look how Jesus did that. And then in, in two weeks we're going to look at how to share it effectively. But our mission is clear. Uh, it is to love God, love people, and to serve all. About three months ago, we spent an entire month on serving. And today and this week, we're going to spend most of the time on this loving God and loving people. If you've been following along this year, we, a lot of our content has been based to start with in our Core 52 material. That's the Core 52 book. This week, we're on uh, chapter 31. It is called The Greatest Command. And Mark Moore, the author, launches with this discussion that Jesus is having with an attorney 
and, and the crowd, and specifically Jesus. This attorney comes to Jesus and says, I've got a question for you. And that's where we pick up. What I want you to understand the context of this is, Jesus has been asked this question before. It's this question of what is the greatest law? Uh, what, what's, the, what's the commandment we need to focus on the most? And Jesus has answered the question well every time. But yet again, this attorney's like, I'm going to trip him up because he knows there's 613 different laws and he's going to ask him, hey, which one's most important? The other thing we need to remember in Mark chapter 12, this is the last recorded question that Jesus has asked, at least that we know about. And Jesus handles it perfectly. Look what it says, Mark records in Mark 12. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard Jesus debating with them. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Of the 613, which is most important? Jesus said this. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all, excuse me, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Jesus responds with four uh, things that need to belong to God at this point that we need to love him with. The first part of this response would have been something they memorized. Uh, The Jewish people at this time would have had this down. It would have been like uh, John 3.16. If you go to a sporting event now, and if if somebody raises up a a Bible verse, it's usually John 3.16. They'll have it on a big card display. Uh, Back in the Old Testament, it would have been Deuteronomy chapter 6, and Jesus is quoting that. They would have had this memorized. In fact, Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy 6 a passage that he would have co-authored. Now think about this for a minute. Jesus co-authored Deuteronomy 6 because the Lord our God is one. He says that. And as as God is revealing uh, the message for the Israelites to Moses in Deuteronomy 6, it's given through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus and the Father are all three one. And so Jesus would have been right there with the Trinity, the Godhead. And he gives this message to Moses. He says, focus on these things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your soul. The Israelites knew this. This was known as the Shema. That's a Hebrew word, the only Hebrew word I've got for you for today. Uh, But you say that with some zeal at the end. It's like clearing your throat right at the end. I want you to say it with me. I'm going to share it with you one more time. Shema. Okay, so let's say that together. Shema. Okay. It is a word that you may not hear very much, but the Hebrew, uh, the Jewish people, uh, would have, this would have been something they recited in every worship service, every synagogue meeting. The rabbis would have prayed it. They would have written it on scrolls that they rolled up and put in their phylacteries, these headpieces. It was an important part of their culture. So let's, let's look at it today because Jesus quotes it for us to pay attention to, to live out. It says this in Deuteronomy 6. It says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as they live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Here's the first thing. You probably have heard this before. The first thing that that Moses is making clear, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is when God gives us a command, when he gives us instruction, it is for our blessing. A lot of times uh, as children, we we hear something from a mom or grandparent or a teacher, and we think, hey, this is a restriction to hold us back. God is making it clear here. The things that I'm going to share with you to live out in the promised land are for your blessing, for your enjoyment. 
Guys, the same is true of us today. When we love the God, our Lord, our God with all that we are, it is going to bless us because our relationship with him will be pure. Here, here's also what it, he says next in verse 3. He says, hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it will go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land that's flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. He says here, if you do these things, if you follow them, there will be a blessing within the land that you have. And he says there's going to be uh, this land flowing with milk and honey. Whenever I was growing up, I heard this phrase enough where I literally thought there was a place probably in, in, the, in the new promised land that honey and milk would just flow out of like the rocks. That is not literally what he's talking about. He is saying that I'm going to bless you with such great uh, herds of of livestock, there's going to be more than enough milk and meat for you to eat. Uh, uh, there's going to be honey, uh, uh, alluding to the fact there's going to be a great prosperity of grain and, and agriculture. You guys are going to be so blessed. But please be careful to obey what I've shared with you. And here's what he's going to share. Here's, here's what he's asking. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Notice he says three things here in Deuteronomy. These commandments are to give you, are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your, when you're, on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk on the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them at, on the door frames of your houses and your gates. In Deuteronomy 6, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Moses says these three things. He says, your heart, your soul, and your strength need to belong to God. But then when Jesus answers this attorney, uh, uh, recorded through Mark, he adds a fourth one. He says, your mind. Does Jesus add to the concept of the Old Testament in, in, in Moses? No, no, he's completing it. He's fulfilling it. He's basically saying, whatever you have, use it to love the Lord with, love the Lord with everything. Whether it's just your heart and soul that's on your mind that day or every aspect of your life. If you're thinking of something, we need to honor the Lord with it. We're called to love the Lord with everything. So let me ask you this in a transitional application point. Can you honestly say you love the Lord with everything? There's that pause. And even though Siri's not saying it, some of you are like, sorry, I'm having trouble understanding you. Because this is, this is difficult. This point where you're like, do I really have to love the Lord with, with my heart, my mind, my soul, my strength, my social media, my cell phone? Everything? That's what God is, that's what he, that's what he asked for. That's what he says. When, when we love him with everything, there will be enjoyment and fulfillment and blessings that come. So let's look at these four things and see if, how they apply to you. Does all that you have belong to him? Does all of your heart belong to the Lord? This is what Mark Moore calls the passions. These are the things that you're deeply desiring. These are the things where you long for. Does that align and honor God? Does all of your soul belong to God? This is your person. This may be the most important. I'm not trying to rate these or rank these, but, but this is your soul. This is who you are. Does that belong to him? This is your identity. When people look at you, do they, do they see you testifying and living the fact that first and foremost, you are a son and daughter of the king, that you're a brother or sister in Christ? Does your identity belong to him? Or are you first an American? Or are you first a, a Cardinals fan or a Cubs fan in mourning this morning, you know? Or, or who are you? What, what, what is the most important thing to you? Some of us get, get in the trap of, well, I'm a parent. No, you're a son or daughter of God first. 
Does all of your strength belong to God? All your power, your abilities, your, your resources, your energies? Does all your mind belong to God? Do your thoughts, your private thoughts, the things that no one else should ever know, but do they belong to God because you're in a, such an intimate, holy relationship with him that he knows everything, so we need to honor him with those private thoughts. Let me ask you this in this way. Are you winning the war in the battlefield of the mind? Are you allowing to give your mind and your thoughts a place of holiness and respect to God, or your mind is your mind wandering all the time about temptation and about possibilities of this world that aren't healthy or holy. See, we're constantly called to give ourselves completely to God. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 12. He says this, Therefore I urge you, and this is for you today. This is me speaking uh, through the Holy Spirit, what Paul wrote originally. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. He goes on to highlight that this is even what we think about. He says, let, the, let this test and, and transform your mind to God's will. It's all important. It all matters. So what are you doing with all that you are? Be careful even what you think about, especially what you think about. I remember growing up, my parents and grandparents told me this all, often. Be careful what you're putting into your mind because garbage in equals garbage out. That's why I think it's really important uh, for there to be some level of disconnect uh, from social media, from our cell phones, from, from the news media, for, from just stuff online. We're so bombarded with this, our minds are overwhelmed with, with distractions. So I appreciate the fact that our, our students this week were encouraged to step away from that and have our minds refreshed. James puts it this way in James 4, the brother of Jesus. So give yourselves completely to God. You know, he doesn't back off. He says, you know, give yourself Monday through Friday or, or give yourself on Sunday morning. No, he says, give yourself completely to God. And then he says, stand against the devil and the devil will run from you. That's the same verse. This is the idea that when you give yourself completely to God, uh, when we stand, the devil can clearly see who we're with and he will flee from you. But here's the dilemma. When we have one foot in the world and one foot trying to focus on God, the devil sees that we're standing on the fence and we can't stand at all and he knows he has a chance to distract us, to pull us away. So let me ask you again, are you completely honoring God with your life, with everything? We're called to, to give him everything, our, ourselves, our, our strength, our mind, our soul. We're also called to give him, especially as parents, I think you have a responsibility to make sure your family is doing all that it can to honor him. Uh, grandparents as well, aunts and uncles, we, we have a responsibility. I, I know as, as, a, as a father of teenagers, uh, they will make their own choices, but right now when they're living under our house, we have a responsibility to, to guide and direct them to the point where they will honor God as well. Your occupation, your material possessions, anything and everything you are, it adds up to be your influence. And here's where this sermon kind of switches from honoring God to also loving God. Our friends, because when everything that we have is, is set apart to love God, he is saying, naturally, you're going to take everything that you have to love and honor your neighbor. 
So who's your neighbor? I don't know if you remember the first time Jesus was asked this question. The guy kind of starts to split hairs. He goes, hey, uh, love God and, and love your neighbors yourself. And, and the guy says, hey, wait a second, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells him that whole story of uh, the Good Samaritan where this guy who, who, who should have seen an enemy began to love this guy as his family. And he offers him resources of money. He offers him uh, his, his own donkey. He offers him time. He offers his reputation because he's not even supposed to be seen with this guy. They're to be enemies. The good Samaritan offered this hurt man everything. And Jesus says, that is the way we're to live. Not just the person you relate to. Not just the person you, sh you share the same religious thoughts. Not the person that you just have the same race uh, relationships with. But you're to love that person and relate to them no matter what. Jesus connects a love for God and a love for people in the greatest commandments. Uh, Mark Moore put it this way, and I quote, he says, the reason the second command is always connected to the first is simple. One cannot love God without loving one's neighbor. He goes on to say, after all, you can't really climb a stairway to heaven to give God a, a hug or to offer him a care package. So what he's suggesting is, when we say we love God, one of the greatest ways to show it, to put it into practice, is loving our neighbors. So how do you love your neighbor? We're talking about, what do I do to love my neighbor? How can I know what to do? Jesus says it. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But we mess that up. We translate that. We, we make that, uh, we think about how to apply that as this. Well, I know what it's like for me to receive love. I'm going to share love the way I like to be loved. For example, if you have a neighbor and you love banana cream pie, it makes logical sense under that thought that your neighbor would love to receive a banana cream pie. And that's the greatest way to show you can love them because everybody loves banana cream pie, right? What if your neighbor doesn't love banana cream pie? That's just ridiculous, isn't it? But the reality, we often will go through life loving on people the way we want to be loved. We go through life sharing with them truths that we hold true. In much the same way, oftentimes we process that everyone has a similar or needs to political view or opinions about certain matters. So we go and share with our neighbors all of our thoughts, all of our concerns, and we think they should align with us. And what if they don't? What if they don't like banana cream pie? What if they don't have the same views that you do politically, socially, economically? And we continue to, to push that down their throat. They're going to pull away from us. Maybe if we love our neighbor the way we want to be loved is we would know them well enough to know their needs and their wants and even their thoughts to come alongside them and bring them into a relationship with us. Let me make it clear, as we put this into practice today in 2021 and coming out of 2020, we need to understand as we encounter our neighbors, we need to be ready to, hit, to uh, speak to them, to be in relationship where they're at, even when they're very different. See, the greatest dilemma of loving someone, our neighbor, is often they're different than us. So how do we relate? How can we love someone when everyone seems to be divided? See, there's so many things that divided us. Whenever I started thinking about putting this message into practice, it was Sunday afternoon. When one message is done, I start thinking about the next one, sometimes even weeks before. So Sunday afternoon last week, we went to the lake and we had a great time in the lake, uh, just kind of uh, doing some tubing and some, it was a beautiful day to be there. But we were hungry by the time six o'clock came around, so we decided to get some pizza. And we began to be divided on which pizza was going to be the best. 
We're only going to get three pizzas. So there was a great division on it was going to be pepperoni or no pepperoni. Just that was what we talked about for about five minutes. And I took note of that. And then I noticed throughout the week there was a great division against on COVID protocol and mask or no mask. And it continued to intensify. And we get all caught up on details. Today, I don't want to get caught up on details right now. I want us to look into God's word and purposely and practically find out how to love our neighbor, even when we're divided. Divisions and divides within the church have been here a long time. Not just in the 21st century, but all the way back to the first century. In fact, we see a glimpse of the first century in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where the church was split down the middle. 50-50. This side of the church was pro-meat, and this side of the church was anti-meat. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. So we understand there's the split down the middle, and it was serious. It was over a a very serious matter, more serious than the church has recently been divided over. I mean, in in the last 20 years, there's been divisions over uh, drums or no drums. There's been divisions in in church culture over uh, color of the carpets, There's been uh, divisions over uh, things that that we hold to be very serious. But the division of the church in the the church in Corinth was more serious than, than we can even imagine. They were asking this question. Was it proper or even possible for a Christian to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols? You're like, who cares? Well, it mattered to them. See, there was a group in the church in Corinth that was about... 50% of them had been Jewish converts. They had grown up trying to honor God everywhere, and they rebelled against pagan gods, and and they wanted nothing to do with gods. And then there was another uh, group of the church that was on this side, and and there was about 50% of them had come from a pagan background, and they had been around uh, pagan gods, and it was really no big deal. They did a lot of sacrifices, and they would indulge in the meat afterwards, and they were like, yeah, it's no big deal. But it was, a, it was a big deal in the church, and the church became divided because of the meat that had been sacrificed on an altar. The Jewish converts were greatly offended, and the new Christians that came from the pagan culture just thought they were getting a good deal at the deli. They were like, hey, this is just two steaks for the price of one. So what does Paul say to them in this situation? Look, look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. I love how Paul gets right to the point. He says, now about the food sacrificed idols. He goes, I know you got a problem. I know there's division in the church. He says, we know that we all possess knowledge. He goes, this side of the the church uh, thinks they can eat the meat, and this side doesn't. He goes, you all have this knowledge, this, this opinion. He goes, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. You might say, we I I believe we could stop right there with verse number one. When you have a knowledge or an opinion on something, we get puffed up. We think we're right all the time. But here's what, the, here's what God's saying. If you really want to build one another up, don't lean on knowledge. Lean on love, that love will build them. Jesus called us to love our neighbor. So look at verse 2. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is fully known. Here's what he's saying. Sometimes we get so convinced that we know the truth. We have all the knowledge. We get puffed up about all that we know. We forget what's most important to fully know God and be known by him and loved by him. See, being known by God is more important than anything of this world to ever know. Paul's reminding us of that here. I wonder what you are so convinced of that's just right in your mind that you have even put above at times being known and loved by God and loving him? Paul says, be careful. 
while you have this knowledge, it, it has value. But what's even more important is fully knowing God and being known by him. So look at verse 4. He says, So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in this world, and that there's no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, these so-called gods and lords, yet for us there's but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we live. And there's but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. He says, the God made everything and Jesus saved us from, uh, to live. Paul is basically saying, follow me on this, that there's no other God but the one true God. So if, uh, if, a, if a, a piece of meat is sacrificed to these false gods, it does nothing to the meat. Uh, you can go and eat this meat. You're free to eat this meat. And so these guys are saying, we told you so. We knew this. But here's what Paul says next. Look, he says, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. There are people that still believe this meat is wrong. He says, some people are still so accustomed to idols that they, have, they eat sacrificed foods. They will think they've been sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do eat, not eat and no better if we do. So here's what he's saying. Eating this meat or not has no spiritual influence. You are free to eat the meat. And this group is saying, see, I told you. That's what they're feeling. But Paul is saying, now wait a second, this other half of the church family is still concerned about this and they feel bad. They actually feel like they're sinning against God. So if you almost bring them along and make them eat this, you're going to make them feel like they're sinning against God. And in that, you'll make them sin because they will be spiritually at odds. But the bottom line is, it's possible to do this, Paul's saying. But look at verse eight, uh, 9 of chapter 8. He says, be careful. However, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block. This is going to step on your toes if you're like me at all, because I like to exercise my, exercise my rights. I have freedoms that, by golly, I'm going to live out. I'm a red-blooded American. I can do what I want to do. If the Bible doesn't come against it, I have the right to do that, right? And Paul says, be careful. He says, be careful that the exercising of your rights does not make someone else weak and stumble. Here's the point that we got to put into practice. Exercising our rights is less important than loving relationships. Some of you are like, I'm having trouble understanding what you're saying. I'm supposed to be able to exercise my rights and my freedoms no matter where I'm at because I, I, I'm a free American. And, and whether you're an American or not, it doesn't matter. What is before that is if you're free to do something but it's causing someone to sin, your exercising that rights is not worth hurting them. We need to be very careful how we live this out. Please understand, I believe there is great room for differing opinions within the church. Unity in the church does not mean, though, that we have to be completely conforming to one another. I love the fact that the church looks different. That every family and every belief is not the same. Opinions and convictions have a place within the church, but we can be completely unified at the same time that Christ is the Savior of all. We can have different convictions of this world and stay unified. I believe differing opinions are good. But when they're about non-essentials, we can walk away from them. Opinions are important. Convictions are just important. Uh, we need to have the healthy pursuit of opinions in, in a state where we can live together and respect one another. 
I'm going to start with something pretty simple about a strong conviction some of you may have and to know that we can still appreciate one another. For example, the conviction of carpet. What do you do with carpet in your home? Here's a nice living room with carpet. I grew up uh, in a home where uh, you could, if you came in from school or maybe uh, work, if your shoes were clean, you could pass through and go through the house with the carpet. That conviction of mine has been changed by my wife. She has made me change, and when you get to the house, you take off your shoes, okay? I I still believe it's possible, but not in my house, okay? (laughs) However, if I would go to your house, and I would see that everyone in the room still had their shoes on and my shoes were clean, I may be able to pass in. It would be uh, a strange thing, though. I haven't done that much lately because that's just not the way I've been trained, but that's just the way it is. So, But the other part of that is if I come into a room like this and I see... Everyone in that room, the owners of that house especially, have taken off their shoes. I'm going to quickly go to my knees and take off my shoes to honor that conviction, that, that opinion. I tell you what, carpet, and whether we wear shoes on it or not, is not worth hurting a relationship. Whether you're a Cubs fan or Cardinals fan, is not worth hurting a relationship. We're not making a, public, a, a political statement here today. What I'm calling you to do is to what Christ has stated, to love your neighbor. We're there at. See, loving our neighbor is more important than teaching your neighbor. Let that soak in just for a minute. It's, it's a bigger statement than it sounds like. Loving your neighbor is more important than teaching your neighbor. Loving your neighbor is more important than convincing your neighbor of something that you're convicted of. Because when we love our neighbor, it puts us in a position to show them the love of Jesus and to have them find a hope that can change your life, not just so that you can have a neighbor that looks and dresses and thinks like you. Loving our neighbor is what's most important. That'll bring them into the kingdom. This is what Jesus said, quoted by John in John 13. He quotes Jesus. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not if you change them to be like you, but if you love them first. Tyson, you're, you're sounding like you're getting pretty soft. I really felt this way in first service, actually. I, I knew there was a sense of the room uh, while they were listening, while they were with me. They're like, Tyson, we, we thought you were going to hold the truth of the Bible. I'm not talking about the truth of the Bible. I'm talking about opinions and, and convictions that we have in this world. We can back away from that for the sake of the truth of the Bible, for the gospel. Amen? I hope you are hearing the heart of this. It is not being soft. It is not being a pushover to love someone where they're at. I think it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Because when somebody is different than me, I mean different at the core, whenever I put my opinions and my convictions behind for a while and I step in to love them in the world where they're at, whether i got my shoes on or not, that's what love is. You know how much Jesus loved us? He stepped into our world and took on flesh. We need to follow his example. By this, everyone know my disciples, if you love one another. I think it's one of the toughest things we can do, one of the things that are most like Jesus, to love someone that's different and then we know it. It doesn't mean we'll quit speaking the truth, but how will we do it? The Bible makes it clear, we'll speak the truth in love. Here's the last point of the day. It's really only two points that flow out of this. This one may even hurt worse than the first one. It may step on your toes. Choosing to uh, loving your neighbor well over proving you're always right. I I challenge you to choose to love your neighbor well over trying to prove that you're always right. I need to take my own advice at home. Any 
husbands or fathers know what I'm talking about here. There can be a moment in a conversation at home with your kids, especially when they become teens, and your wife, when you've been married about 20 years, and there's this discussion, and everyone in the house may have a different opinion, and you know you're right, and by golly, you're going to prove it. And you may spend a whole weekend proving you're right, and you may be right, but in the midst of how you work to prove it on this little matter, you're dead wrong, and you lose respect, and you lose relationship. Just proving you're right. I wonder when the last time you've done that. I've done it a few times this year. We need to understand that sometimes it's better uh, to let these opinions and these convictions, even though you're right, uh, lay down so that you don't ruin a relationship. Now, there's a point where you can't lay down from a conviction because it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of God's word. But there's other times we say, hey, it's okay we disagree. And I'm going to let the truth lie while I love you for a moment. See, choosing to love your neighbor well over proving you're right is what Jesus would have done. Here's what Paul says about this in verse 9. He says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all of your knowledge eating in the, in the idol's temple... Won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? Yeah, they'll probably eat as well. So this weaker brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way, you wound their weak conscience. You sin against Christ. Therefore, what I eat, if, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall in sin, I will never eat the meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. What a great testimony of Paul. He says, if I realize this thing I'm free to do is causing someone else to stumble, I'm not going to do it. I have the opinion, this is just my own opinion, I think Paul likes steak. But what Paul is saying, I'll pass up a ribeye for the sake of my friends in a relationship. If they're caught up in that's being a problem. Paul never told the anti-meat people that you've got to eat meat to have your pudding. Paul never told the meat lovers that you've got to go hungry. What he said is, if this matter that is non-essential is causing a rift between you and your brother or sister, let it walk away from it. If this matter uh, uh, of of contention is causing a, a relationship problem between that person and Christ, never do it again, ever. That is what we'd be willing to sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of our brother and sister. That's what it looks like to love a neighbor. It's easier said than done, though. Thank goodness that we don't have a discussion over meat right now, but we've got other discussions that are not any more serious that are divisive. It may not be meat, but you know what's been over the years? Music, whether to have drums or not have drums. I'm so thankful for drums, but I'll tell you what, 830 service was amazing today and there were no drums. It, it is a matter of opinion that we can walk away from if needed. Amen? Some of you like your drums, I guess. Okay. Sometimes it's music. Right now, it may not be meat, but it's mask. Are we going to wear masks again or not? Are we going to make our friends wear masks? I want you to know if you go to a hospital room and they've all got masks on, please mask up. If you go to a friend's house and they're concerned and they've got masks on, put the mask on. If you're sitting by a brother or sister in Christ or maybe invited a friend, they're like, hey, I'll go to church with you. Will you wear a mask? Put on a mask. Do not let these matters that are not essential to the word of God, divide us and cause someone to stumble and say, I'm not wanting to be anything to do with a faith that would lead someone to be that strict about an opinion. 
I wonder what right now in your life you're so convinced of, so convinced of, you have so much knowledge of that you're missing the point. I'm asking myself the same question. Paul says, be willing to walk away from anything that causes a brother or sister to stumble. Core 52 this week ends with a challenge. It gives us a challenge to complete a random act of kindness at home, at work, or in a community. That's, that's not easy to do. You know, you go throughout the week, you're, you're looking to some way love on somebody uh, that you hadn't planned to do to, to serve them in some way. And that can radically change lives. I want to ramp it up to one notch. I want you to consider someone that's not so random that you know you're, you've had some division with in the past. Maybe you've had uh, a discussion that didn't go so well. You've disagreed. I would encourage you this week to love on and serve them. And after you do that, whether you bring them a watermelon or you mow their grass, that person that you've been at odds with, and they're like, hey, what's up? What, what, what do you want to talk about now? Saying, man, nothing. I just want to serve you because I care about you. And see if their heart just isn't a little softened. See if your heart just doesn't become a little softened and that you can begin to share and live like Christ in your relationship better than you have for, for years. Next week, we're going to learn again how, how to live it by looking at the life of how Jesus lived. In two weeks, I want to give you one more challenge. That person that you may have been divided from, that person that doesn't know Jesus, invite them to share with us. Invite them to come to church on August 15th. We're going to have kind of like a friend day where we're purposely inviting people to hear the good news and to share it with them. And here's what I promise you, two things. I promise to not embarrass you. I'll try my best, okay, when you bring your friend. And I also promise they'll hear the good news of Jesus and that you can share it because of a relationship with him as well. Today has been a good day already, and I know great things are about to happen. I would ask you to consider this. Who do you need to be loving on? And maybe you're, you're realizing today you've been brought here by a friend and you've never accepted Jesus. Maybe today's the day that you say, I want to be a part of a church family that loves people even when they're different, especially when they're different. If you need to make a decision of any type, maybe you'd want to, to be baptized, to give your life to him. Please come forward, and we'd love to pray with you and begin to walk with you in that. Would you stand with me as I pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for today. Thank you for this challenge from your word uh, to love our neighbors well, to love you most of all. Help us to, to honor you with everything that we are. Lord, today, if someone is here that, that wants to take that step to be all in, to give everything that they are to you, I pray that they would move and, and make that statement and take that step. In Jesus' name, amen.